CBDC is the only bank dedicated exclusively to entrepreneurs. That's why we're proud to support women entrepreneurs with the Thrive Podcast, providing startup women with the support and resources they need to start and grow their business. An award-winning entrepreneur, one of Canada's most powerful women, and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. This is your host, Janice McDonald, for the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. You're listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. On this show, we connect you with leading innovators, change makers, and organizations helping women to own it in entrepreneurship. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada, the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. I'm your host, Janice McDonald, president of the Beacon Agency and Startup Canada's ambassador for women entrepreneurs. We are thrilled to have Barbara Orser on the show today. Barbara is an award-winning professor and expert on women in business. She's been recognized as one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada by Women's Executive Network and has also been recognized by the International Alliance for Women for her work. She's a Deloitte professor at the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa. She is also the co-author of Feminine Capital, Unlocking the Power of Women Entrepreneurs, a book on women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial feminists and one that I own and think is a wonderful resource. Barb is also an active advisor to the federal government on topics of women and business and is the former chair of the federal government's task force for women's enterprise, pardon me, growth. We have so much to cover and talk about. We are really lucky to have this wonderful expert with us here today. Welcome to the show, Barb. Thank you. Why don't we begin with uh, sort of setting setting our conversation today? What's the key message you hope our listeners will take away from our conversation today? Well, I think, Janice, there are really three takeaways from the book, um, Feminine Capital. Uh, We were motivated to write the book because too often when we think about women entrepreneurs, they're positioned as other or less than, and uh, we felt it was time to celebrate feminine capital. And by Uh that, I mean, you know, all the elements within venture creation and business development that reflects feminist values and feminine values of leadership, um, be it um, through collaboration or connectivity mm-hmm. or women's lived experiences and uh, gender identities. So really that's the focus of the book and something that needs to be celebrated. So right off the top, because I know all of a sudden people are saying, wait, I want that book too. How do people buy this book? 
They can find that on Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. Okay, and remind us the title again. It's called Feminine Capital, Unlocking the Power of Women Entrepreneurs, and the authors are Barb Orser and Catherine Elliott, and it's published by Stanford University Press. Amazing. All right, so let's just jump right in. Uh, You are very well known globally for your research. What does it mean, this research that you've been doing for women entrepreneurs? Well, we have a fairly large portfolio of programs that are underway. And um, so just a couple of topics that might be of interest to your readership. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is a a key challenge for many business owners. Mm -hmm. So we're working with the Business Development Bank of Canada to create um, best-in-class, and that's world-class diagnostics, to give um, evidence-based feedback to entrepreneurs. So the criteria that we're using Mm -hmm. and the experiences that we're reflecting are those of Canadians. Um, We're doing work with small business procurement in the federal government. So why is it that only uh, 10% of Canadian SMEs are engaged in federal contracting? And Mm -hmm. what does that mean for business laws? Mm -hmm. So we're working with um, government at the most senior level to look at um, strategies and ways that um, will uh, motivate and make easier um, opportunities for SMEs uh, to do business with the feds. Uh, we're doing work on discouraged borrowers and trying to get um, more women. Do, do you, to you want think to tell us what that means? Yeah, discouraged borrower. Um, it it refers to those um, quality businesses that would receive capital but do not apply for debt financing because they think they're going to be turned down. And our research uh, suggests that there are thousands and thousands of Canadian business owners that would qualify for debt financing, Mm -hmm. a bank loan, but don't qualify because they think they may not get that funding. So we're teasing out why is that the case Mm -hmm. and what are the perceptions and uh, what are the assumptions that may be um, not accurate? And do you want to share some of those thoughts and assumptions that that are happening? Yeah. Um, we are in the midst of now our second um, series of studies. So we're the, the data that, that I'm referring to is to 2004 and then mm-hmm. 2014. We know that women are more likely to be discouraged borrowers. And so I think there's the perception that the banks aren't open for business um, for their needs. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's, um, an opportunity both for the businesses to, uh, be more proactive in reaching out to women entrepreneurs and your own work has showed Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the opportunity for women to talk to their bank managers and, um, and see if there's opportunities to leverage debt financing for their business purposes. You know, I just think about the anecdotally conversations. I, I, you know, like you speak to so many women entrepreneurs across the country and, you know, we do hear that, right? Mm-hmm. They, they are discouraged. They are concerned and they are um, sometimes I think largely influenced because their pal went and got turned down and then they, and, you know, said what a terrible experience it was. And so, you know, they then think, Ooh, (laughs) you know, if that person got turned down, I don't even have a, you know, a chance. And so, you know, it has that ripple effect. It does. And we know that access to capital is one of the key Mm -hmm. barriers to enterprise growth. And so the book provides tools and uh, learning aids to tease out some of the business owner's assumptions. And and here's an example. Mm -hmm, Um, We've conducted many studies around the terms of lending. And these mirror U.S. findings that, in fact, when we compare 
the size and the sector and the management experience of male-owned or female-owned businesses, there are no differences in the terms of lending. The difference often comes... Wait a sec. Like, that's a big finding. Yeah, that's a big finding. It's a big misperception because there's the perception of gender bias. So Mm -hmm. we're also doing work on attribution. So if you have a male business owner and a female business owner in the same sector same size, same management experience, what will they attribute the turn down to? Mm-hmm. Will it be their business plan? Will it be their gender identity? Mm-hmm. Will it be a poor relationship with a lending officer? Mm-hmm. Will it be lack of experience? And we know that women will tend to attribute it to gender. So again, it goes back to that misperception and poor communication by the banks in terms of being open for business for women entrepreneurs. It's also the big opportunity. We can Absolutely. get this right. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, then women can grow their businesses, get the financing that they need. Correct. Yeah. All right. So there are stereotypes though. Absolutely. So they exist. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the stereotypes around women uh, in entrepreneurship? Well, I think there, there are a lot of stereotypes and, and we need to bust these myths. <laughs> For example, the stereotype of the captain of industry and the technocentric business mm-hmm. um, that has little room for feminine capital. Um, when we think about women entrepreneurs, we tend to heavy up on the idea of social enterprise and, and both perceptions are accurate. Mm-hmm. Women are operating um, businesses in every sector. Mm-hmm. Um, some are growing, some are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and some by design. And right? Some people say right now, this is exactly how I want my business to be, give or take a little bit of growth. This is all I can manage right now. Correct. For other reasons. Yeah. 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 And so without judgment, um, we have to recognize there are different perceptions of success. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think about growth and that growth is usually defined by revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that uh, women appreciate community contribution. Women appreciate the opportunity to bring products to market. Uh, women appreciate the opportunity to support other women through their businesses. They sure do. And um, so those are indicators of success mm-hmm. that we need to celebrate mm-hmm. as opposed to just employment growth and revenue growth. Right. Yeah. So how do we bust these myths? You know, what, what's your advice, um, you know, when you, when you want to empower women in business? What do you tell them? I think build community. Mm. I, I think the business-to-business community is strong and growing in Canada. I think we need more men engaged in this dialogue. Mm-hmm. Too often, like many issues around, you know, feminism and women's issues, it's the women speaking. So we do need our prime minister. Mm-hmm. We need our ministers. We need our politicians supporting women business owners. It is interesting in Canada, mm-hmm. we have no national policy framework to right. support women entrepreneurs. And so where are the politicians? Right. Where's the policy? Yeah. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? It is. We are, we are well behind other economies. I'm part of a 19-nation study looking at women's enterprise policy and programs. And we've got some very good programs in the West and in the East. However, we still assume um, the innovation centers serve women and men well with no evidence. Mm -hmm. We assume our policy supports men and women without evidence. Mm -hmm. And we have no policy structure to support women at the national level, Mm -hmm. policy structure for women entrepreneurs. And we do have a lot of stories from women who say, I don't find accelerators and incubators to be an inclusive place for me. It doesn't feel like a place I want to hang out. 
That's yeah. correct. And it doesn't take, uh, you know, a lot of imagination when you walk into these right. places, right? Yeah. They're heavy on AI. Mm-hmm. They're heavy on tech. Mm-hmm. You might have one desk for social enterprise, mm-hmm. but they're not inviting environments or inclusive environments for all entrepreneurs. Right. And it's a real, a real missed opportunity Absolutely. because we know that inclusive innovation is is where exciting things are possible. Yeah. And, and that's why I say build community because um, I think that we've been quite tolerant of how public funding has been spent. And right. so, you know, rarely is the use of uh, federal funding in these innovations question, innovation centers right. and hubs question, but who is really being served? Right. And we don't have the numbers to say who's there, who's getting funded, you know, and what's happening. Yeah. And it's kind of curious because I suggest that's with intent. I would Um, agree. Because many of these organizations collect, but do not report. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the anecdotal evidence that I have seen is it's quite embarrassing. Yes. And so I think it is time to... uh, be more transparent and to profile, um, you know, the gender and gender identity comp, you know, composition of their client groups. Yeah. Let's, let's like shine a spotlight, see what's happening there. And also uh, in so doing, it really will hopefully allow for change to make it more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we're taxpayers paying mm-hmm. for those services. Yeah. And if they're not meeting the needs of our um various stakeholders. It's time for change. And I think it's time uh, to be much more gender inclusive in a lot of the way we talk about entrepreneurship right. and deliver entrepreneurship mm-hmm. programming. And even in, by design, right? In in the spaces and, you know, are they feminine friendly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, an, a bit of an irony. I'm, I'm working on a project with the Canadian Bureau of International Education mm-hmm. and we're building gender sensitive entrepreneurship curriculum in Jordan. We're not doing that in right. Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That actually just takes my breath away for a second. <laughs> well, perhaps you know? we will learn a lot from our Jordanian uh, yes. colleagues as we uh, build female-focused accelerator in right. Amman yeah. and as we build gender-sensitive curricula at the university and through the high schools. Amazing. And maybe we can bring those lessons to Canada. It's on you. You're going to be our fearless leader. So, Barb, what about mentorship for women entrepreneurs? What um, do you... Are you seeing it as important? Where, what, you know, if, if, as a method to break down stereotypes, et cetera, where, what, what do you feel about mentorship? Well, I think it's probably one of the most important assets a woman entrepreneur can have in her toolkit. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the impact of mentorship in, um, and a portfolio of mentors, by the way, not mm-hmm. just one, right. male and female. Agree. Um, and individuals at different, you know, stages of the growth trajectory or the firm maturation. Mm -hmm. And um, mentors have a profound impact on opening up networks, reality check. Mm -hmm. um, Cheerleading. Cheerleading, (laughs) referrals, Mm -hmm. speed to trust. So that's that's an important takeaway of this conversation is, is check your portfolio of mentors, have very specific expectations and timelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the sunset clause? And pick up the phone and ask. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. You have a chapter in your book called Never Underestimate the Underestimated Woman. Can you expand on this topic? Why is this an important message for women to hear and understand? It's it's. It's fabulous. So tell us more. Well, I think it's a bit of my mantra. 
And I think it, you know, that can be interpreted at many levels. At, at a federal or a national level, mm-hmm. I think that women entrepreneurs are one of Canada's um, most important underrealized assets. And I'm not just talking about an economic asset, a right. social a asset, asset yeah. a community asset. And it's we're very much underestimating mm-hmm. um, how support could impact um, the Canadian fabric. I think... At the individual level, uh, it challenges us to think about what each of us are bringing to market and could bring to market and to check our assumptions about, you know, what we're doing and how we're unique and what we bring in our own voices to the marketplace. And I think it also speaks to the importance of building community. Mm-hmm. And this kind of podcast is really important because we start sharing voices and messaging and mm-hmm. mixed messaging. And and so it's not just sort of a one-size-fits-all discussion about what it is to be a woman entrepreneur. So I think we still have lots to celebrate and recognize, mm-hmm. um, and lots is still under-recognized. It's an important message for women to hear. Yeah. So what's the influence of gender when it comes to decision-making and entrepreneurship? I'm sure you have examples that you've seen either from your own experiences um, or from um, your research that you can share with our listeners. Well, I do. And in fact, my own PhD looked at, uh, you know, the influence of gender and decision-making. That that was the thesis topic. And it was interesting. What we found was that um, when entrepreneurs are making the decision to grow their firms, Mm -hmm. some of the factors that they can consider or do consider in that decision are similar. Mm -hmm. So in terms of stress and income and community contribution, the factors are the same, but the weights are different between men and women. And an example would be what we found is that women, at least in this sample, Mm -hmm. and I'll speak from evidence base, uh, women tended to um, weight the decision preference of their husbands. Men did not. Right. Right. So So there seems to be more of a familiar influence in the decision of the female entrepreneur Mm -hmm. that wasn't the case for the men. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that um, they weight very heavily the opportunity to um, commercialize innovation and products and uh, their life experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know family weights in the decision to a a higher degree. I've mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So the very nuances of the factors that influence the decision differ. We know that um, gender influences um, perceptions of success, right? Very true. Very true. And uh, we have very strong evidence in Canada that mirrors other international studies that say, stereotypically, uh, women will weight a contribution to family and community much stronger mm-hmm. than um, men. Men will tend to weight pecuniary or financial yes. outcomes. Very yeah. stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it has real impact in, in how things move forward. Or how we recognize what's important to all Canadians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have to make room for all of that. That's right. Yeah. And, and Different yeah. Um, definitions of success. And to say, but but in particular for women entrepreneurs to understand that it's okay and perfectly fine to go about your business the way you want to go about your business. And it doesn't have to use a male definition of success to make you feel like because you're not proceeding in a specific way that somehow that's a less than. That's right. And align your business with others that share that Mm -hmm. uh, vision of success. Which goes back to your point around community. 
Right, kind of find your tribe yep. find <laughs> that your supports tribe. what you know your vision and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the challenges in Canada is because many of our programs are government funded, mm-hmm. and because government tends to emphasize job creation and revenue growth. Yes, it's hard to find those tribes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That if if you're you know that gazelle intended fast growth business and AI or green tech you'll find support. Mm -hmm. But if you're more a community-based social enterprise Mm -hmm. or a small product enterprise, Mm -hmm. it's hard to find those communities, Mm -hmm. um, especially when there's little support given Mm -hmm. to those communities. Um, And women don't have the time to advocate and lobby for those kind of support mechanisms. And I would argue that you know, the agencies that might support those are involved with violence against women mm-hmm. or other issues that are are equally important, mm-hmm. but, but not related to mm-hmm. women's entrepreneurship. Yeah, full plates. Yeah. What else, um, you know, when you think about your research you and, and your advocacy for women in business from your um, from your book that we haven't had a chance to highlight yet, what else do you want to tell us? I mean, it's a big book, chock full of lots of information. So. Well, I guess we've we've learned an awful lot over the last 30 years about startup. We know a lot less about venture growth. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are growth oriented, it it is a good idea to find those mentors that you've mentioned, Janice, Mm -hmm. um, a portfolio um, to take take advantage of the resource within the community, uh, build a tribe of growth oriented uh, men and women entrepreneurs to help you on your journey. that would be an important, I think, lesson learned. Um, as I said, the book has lots of um, diagnostics and takeaways in terms of managing your social capital. Mm-hmm. Equally important. Do you want to highlight a few? Do you sure. want to walk us through some of it? Because yeah. it's a tremendous resource. So yeah. well, um, Let's talk about social capital. That'd be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is social capital? Social capital refers to your networks and your, um, your sources of advice and information and how you access resources. And um, what's your sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen in our own research is that women um, engage in a lot of social capital, gathering, contacts, information, networks, but they tend to be dominated by friends and family. And they're very close to that individual. Mm -hmm. The problem then becomes um, they love you, they care for you, they're less likely to criticize you, they're less likely to be able to refer to other industry partners or potential clients or suppliers. And so the chapter on social capital talks about managing your social capital, your networks, your referrals, your sources of advice, and what are the strategies? And how do you let some sources go? And do you tend to have just a few or do you have a strong portfolio of many? So that's an example of social capital. And are there any tips that you would say, you know, for our listeners, do this. (laughs) Well, just like you manage your financial capital, it's really important to manage your social capital as well. So when you're walking into a business meeting, do you have an intention or a strategy of who you're going to speak to? And what are the two or three takeaways other than friendship and community that you'll leave that gathering with? That's really powerful to, and, and an excellent reminder about intention and strategy. Mm-hmm. Right. To yes. to actually go into each of those um, meetings, meetups, conversations and thinking about it more strategically for your business. Absolutely. And and friendship is important. Sure. But 
I know myself when I walk into um, uh, business meetings, I'll also I'll often spend more time on family and friend friends issues mm-hmm. than I will about getting business done. And so I think the the chapter sort of encourage you to look at that mm-hmm. and to look at the quality of the resources you're using mm-hmm. and how to let go of certain resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, question those resources about how engaged they are with women entrepreneurs. So if you're part of a professional association, take it to task about are they gender inclusive, gender sensitive? Mm-hmm. No more manals, as we like to say, yeah, all male manals. panels. How many have we seen, right? Too many. Yeah. Too many. Yeah. It's surprising, actually. Yeah. Very tolerated. Mm, very tolerated, but less so, right? We're gonna we're gonna feel like things are changing. Other uh, other things that you want to cover? Uh, we we're, we're not, we can't possibly give it all away because it's a a chock full of uh, valuable research and tips and and approaches. Uh, well, there's a chapter on on access to capital. That's always an important issue for um, many, all entrepreneurs. <laughs> <It's> essential. <laughs> yeah, I think it's understanding what the expectations are of investors and lenders, mm-hmm. and you know, checklists to say, do you meet those expectations? For instance, if you're going to be talking to an angel investor, you know, are you talking at you know a at a rate of performance that would be attractive to that type of individual or syndicate. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to a venture capitalist, you know, what are their expectations on enterprise performance? So there's some good benchmarks to compare your enterprise with. Um, So information is power. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at the capitalization of your firm, that you have a really good grasp on the alternative sources the risks associated with those resources, Mm -hmm. the advantages and the disadvantages Mm -hmm. of those sources. That's really helpful because one of the things that we hear again is, um, unfortunately, sometimes people don't understand what they're asking or, you know, are they asking the right people at the right time? Sometimes it's a timing issue. Um, You're not quite ready to be where you are, (laughs) if you will, asking for that money. But it's all learning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and really it is um, information is power. Yeah. And so when you're going and you're confident that you're meeting the expectations uh, or exceeding the expectations, Mm -hmm. uh, or you're going into the right community, right? right? So you're knocking on the right doors Mm -hmm. or you're building the right communities. Mm -hmm. We know too how important it is when you look for those funding sources that having a relationship and taking a long-term view and really finding um, a partner in whatever that may be. Could be a financial institution, could be an angel investor, could be even a VC, depending obviously on age and stage of your business, mm-hmm. but that it's, you need that alignment, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that the relationship will really work um, and that you need that sort of, um, rather than a power imbalance, but really that both sides feel like this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've heard that from other experts like yourself that we've been talking to, you know, so this, uh, this is an important chapter. There's some powerful resources. So again, uh, the book is Feminine Capital and it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for our listeners to break down gender barriers and own it um, as women in business? There's, there's some, I'm sure, strategies from all of your research and expertise Well, I I think this sort of circles back to my thoughts about um, activism. 
And tell and, us more. Yeah, one of the chapters in the book um, talks about the the politics of power, and you know, so often as women, we're busy in our lives, we're busy running businesses, we're busy taking care of our families, and there's little time to put our heads up and think about advocacy and the power of politics. And I think we might have lost a little sense of the importance of that because um, we're not. We're not as powerful, I think, as we could be in terms of voicing the needs to uh, decision makers. And a perfect example of that is our daycare and the lack of daycare policy to support all entrepreneurs in our country. I mean, the conversation's been going on for far too long. We have a self-professed feminist prime minister and feminist government. It seems to me now is the time that we support entrepreneurs in their need for reasonably uh, priced daycare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think... That's an example of the power of collective initiatives and activism. And I think the women's enterprise and the gender identity um, um, community, the intersectionality of entrepreneurship now, it's time to say we need much better infrastructure for mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial community that will reflect uh, all genders um, and in the context of this conversation, women. I know that um, earlier in 2017, I had the opportunity to go to Stockholm, Sweden, and hear from tech entrepreneurs there, yeah. uh, women in uh, in tech, and they were sharing, uh, they were doing really exciting things. And what they shared was one of the reasons why they felt they were able to soar was because of amazing daycare that's mm-hmm. available. So, you know, philosophically, they don't have to have guilt and all these kind of feelings that um, sometimes can come up because they know they have quality care. And so that's off the table so that off they go to work to do exceptional work without a concern. That's right. And, and, then, and, it, and it was huge. They talked about it as, as you know, this, this great ignition point for big ideas. Yeah. And, and I would challenge some of your listeners, not only for daycare, but mm-hmm. to think about how they could use their own entrepreneurship, their own ventures, or if they're mm-hmm. entrepreneurial in their corporate roles to support girls and women. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, you know, we think about feminism over the last uh, 30 years, and we've, we've seen the increase of women in uh, management roles. We know that women on boards is an important issue. And I think the full circle comes around to entrepreneurship now, where we can use venture creation and business ownership as a lever to support women and to support girls. So how in your own enterprises mm. can you think about, now that you own businesses mm-hmm. um, or you are entrepreneurial, how mm-hmm. in your day-to-day work can you support others through entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a real call to action. A call to action. I think uh, there's an opportunity. It's a unique window now in Canada. I have the privilege of traveling around the world and we um, appear to have a government that is receptive to these kind of ideas. And I think given we have no national policy framework, Mm -hmm. no national daycare framework, Mm -hmm. and these are absolute no national entrepreneurship framework. These are really important issues that could really support and sustain enterprise growth. So from your global travels, what are you seeing that's been exciting for you? So you mentioned Jordan, uh, but you've been obviously all over with taking your message. What, What can you bring back and share with us? Well, I think we can take a few lessons learned from the U.S., okay. who are, are considered a, a good practice nation. Um, they have a legislated provision for an advisory council on women's 
enterprise, women entrepreneurs, to the president and to Congress. Mm -hmm. And I think that if Canada is truly committed to women entrepreneurs, we need that kind of legislative framework because then with changes of government, we don't lose momentum. And we've seen that time and time again. And it's not politics then. It's not just politics and women's, the same degree. Yeah. yeah. And women's entrepreneurship becomes a bit of a political football. So I think that's helpful. Mm-hmm. I think we can also look to the U S for their infrastructure of women, uh, focused small business training organizations. They have a national network. Okay. We, we have great, great programs. programs. We do. Uh, out West, mm-hmm. out East. We yeah. have very little in Ontario. True. The center of our country and the largest base for SMEs, 34% mm-hmm. of SMEs are in Ontario. So, the challenge is to, you know, make those available to all regions in our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a good organization in Northern Ontario, Carroll, but it's it's not in Southern, right? Uh, deep Southern Ontario. Um, so that's another good practice. Okay. Women's Enterprise Centers, legislation, daycare. Anything else beyond uh, the U.S. have you seen from your travels that's been exciting? Absolutely. If we look to Sweden and some of the Scandinavian countries, we've seen that their innovation policy has mandated that 40% of spend go towards women entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So that's important. It's saying that we are making a commitment in our funding apparatus. And it's real. You know, the real commitment. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 40%. 40%. Wow. 40%. And, and not just Sweden, you're saying other countries, other Scandinavian? Well, it, it, okay. Sweden is the is the role model in that respect. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. And, and I think until we put hard numbers as opposed to being aspirational, we've had 30 years of aspirational <laughs> activities in Canada. And so how has your view changed as you've been, you know, working in this area and researching and uh, and you're an expert in it? How, how have your feelings and thoughts and, you know, what's the journey for Barb, Dr. Barb? Well, I think it's less a a part of my journey as I am absolutely motivated when I meet the remarkable women that are running small businesses in Canada, um, that are part of organizations like We Connect International Mm -hmm. and Weeby. These are forward-thinking, generous-spirited individuals that um, are really making a significant contribution to the Canadian economy Mm -hmm. and are not yet recognized for those contributions. Mm -hmm. So... Any more lessons from your research you'd like to share or advice that you want to um, to share with our listeners and for women entrepreneurs? We want them to advocate. We need them to turn up their voices and um, and create community and come together, find their power. Is there anything else um, either that's bugging you <laughs> that you say, we got to fix this? And you've mentioned, you know, some pretty big, important issues, but I want to make sure we cover it all. Um, if there's anything else and, and, and you have highlighted how financial literacy is pretty essential to overall success. Yeah. And I think when you're, when you're using the word literacy, I I would couple that with procurement literacy. I would knock because everyone lives within a, a region. I would knock on your municipality and I would, um, knock with your friends and say, we want policies and programs to support local entrepreneurs. We want programs to support women entrepreneurs so that in the municipal spends in this country and the provincial spends in our country, they're doing business with the women that are building businesses mm-hmm. and contributing to their regional economies. And 
when you get business, when you get sales, you know, this is a powerful way to grow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Grants are wonderful and training is important, but also sales help. And, you know, to have the government as a, at any level as a reference customer is pretty important. It's a reference customer. Generally, they pay on time. Uh, We know that there are challenges with the complexity of procurement, but actually the piece of work we just have uh, released in June on procurement the number one issue we found is businesses are not aware of the contracting opportunities and they tend not to think of business. They tend not to think of the government as a potential client. Mm -hmm. Once they get through the initial procurement process, typically they don't have trouble delivering on the contract. So that's what I mean by knock on the door, ask what business is there and ask that they ensure that small businesses are included in the spend. This is tremendous. We have been having a very important conversation with Deloitte Professor Dr. Barbara Orser, University of Ottawa, Telfer School of Management, uh, noted author. The book is called Feminine Capital. You can find it at Amazon.ca. Chock full. You gave us a uh, an overview of some of the uh, information that's available in there, but really it's a blueprint for women entrepreneurs to pick up and get informed. Is there any kind of lasting comments, that, last comments that you'd like to make uh, before we wrap up? Well, I always welcome... Um, uh comments and suggestions and uh, feedback on on some of the work that we're doing. So um, I'm easy to find at the University of Ottawa, and I would welcome uh, communication by the men and women that are building businesses in our country. Thank you for joining us this week on The Thrive Podcast, a show inspiring, connecting, and educating women entrepreneurs across Canada. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to find resources designed to support thriving women-owned businesses across Canada. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. And to learn about the latest startup community news and events, like our popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I'm Janice McDonald, leaving you now with a sneak peek of our next episode. Hi, this is Maria Locker from Mompreneurs across Canada, and you're listening to the Thrive Podcast with Janice McDonald. What was the biggest or some of the biggest challenges that you hear about from your community? Well, I think aside from, you know, most entrepreneurs struggle with financial literacy or, you know, cash flow and all those standard things. What I find the biggest thing most of our members will mention is time management and balance, really. And it's it's that word balance will keep coming up and we try to kind of stray away from it. Um, but time management for a lot of women in our group seems to be the biggest struggle. You know, how do I take care of my family, you know, make sure breakfast is on the table or dinner is on the table. But at the same time, how do I answer all the emails that are waiting in my inbox, ship out all those products that have been ordered, you know, make sure my customer service, my employees, all of that is working the way it's supposed to. That really seems to be the biggest challenge for the majority of women in our group. And when you're when you're hearing about it, what are the strategies that members are using to achieve that success and try and integrate those two sides and, and have some kind of balance so that they're winning on both sides of that equation? Well, I think really in a lot of the articles and um, 
messages that we put out there. We try to encourage women to to see the value in being 100% involved in whatever they're focused on at a particular moment. So if you are home and your kids have come home from school, be 100% in with that purpose in mind. You know what? My kids are walking through the door. I'm theirs, even if it's for 20 minutes. And then start having the discussion about, okay, I've got a, an online meeting at this time, so make sure you guys are prepared. And and just have the discussion around really making use of time. We also have quite a lot of educational program available on our website. And one of the biggest, I would say, if not the most popular resource we've offered is a time map template, which splits up everybody's 24 hours in a really reasonable amount of chunking and it also comes with some uh, guidance and, and feedback in terms of how to split your day up so that you're not feeling like you're torn in a million directions.